All right, Krishna, everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology. It is Bhakti Wednesday today, and we are going to take, be taking a look at the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita in response to a great question that I received from one of you about not having enough time for yoga. What if I don't have enough time to do yoga or to do bhakti yoga or to chant or to do any of the things that you recommend doing for um, starting a bhakti yoga practice? So there's a few answers to this question. Um, I think the best one is found in the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. So we're going to um, read that today. It's a very short chapter, so it'll be a short reading. But um, let's start by saying that one of the things that used to drive me crazy, I, my wife and I, as many of you know, owned a yoga studio for almost 10 years. And during that time, um, you know, people would come from all walks of life to do yoga for all different kinds of reasons. And people would often say, well, I don't have time to meditate, or I don't have time to get on the mat, do physical asana. Um, so one of the responses that you'll hear yoga teachers, you know, basically all around the world say is you, you always have time. It's just, it's just a matter of making the time, or it's just a matter of um, making it a priority. And on a certain level, I think that's true that there's always time for yoga, but in order to really receive the benefits of a yoga practice, I think of any spiritual practice, um, you have to make it a priority. It has to become, sometimes I think it has to become the priority, or at least thinking that eventually it will become the priority. Um, because it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like, um, if you think of a cell phone, it's kind of a stupid example, but if you, if you think of a cell phone, the priority for the cell phone is that it needs to go back on the charger if it's going to work. You know, if, if the cell phone's going to do its thing, then it has to prioritize getting plugged in occasionally. And uh, without that, the battery will die and it will be, it won't be useful. So similarly, our heart needs to be plugged in and it has to be done regularly. And the basic answer to, I don't have time for yoga is, well, you better find time because the phone doesn't work unless it's plugged in. Your heart will not work for you unless you're plugging it in. And the word yoga means union. So when we think of plugging the heart in, what we're saying is we're connecting our heart back to our divine original source through intentional activities. And intentional activity means that you know, I'm thinking about taking care of my heart, getting in touch with the, what we would call in, in yoga, the paramatma, the little spark of God that lives in the heart with my soul, um, that the soul is actually considered to be a spark of God itself, but that we connect with the indwelling self, the um, spirit soul and the uh, little guidance of the divine that lives in the heart with the spirit soul. They're, they're described as two birds sitting on the same branch in the um, Vedic literature. So we need to intentionally sit down, you know, and tap into that. And there's so many different ways to do it. In bhakti, the best way is to sing like a little bird to, in order to connect with the other bird that's sitting on the branch inside the heart. So we chant, or we literally sing um, or you can write, you can um, journal, you know, just sharing your heart with God. That's really every day making that a priority is what bhakti yoga is all about. And bhakti is a universal form of connection that's found in so many different faiths. 
all over the world. And I suspect, you know, all over the universe. So first of all, the, the simple answer, the cliched answer is it has to be a priority. It, 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 the life that you're living, if it doesn't have time for it, isn't the life that you should be living. And that might sound really extreme, but if you can't find, you know, 10, 20 minutes a day, even to, to plug your heart back into the uh, source charger, then, you know, it's probably not the lifestyle that you should be living. And that's a really serious thing for some people to contemplate. It's not a condemnation of anything you're doing. It's just, we have to get our priorities straight. And that's the priority. That's the number one priority. So, but it's also a little bit cliched to say this to people who have really intense, busy lives due to their dharma, meaning you have lots of duties. They're sacred duties. There's nothing wrong with them. You're raising kids. You have bills to pay. You have mouths to feed. You know, so those duties and requirements, or maybe you serve people in your job. Maybe you're a therapist, or maybe you're a nurse or a doctor. Maybe you uh, work with children somewhere. I mean, whatever. People, we serve people. That's the point. And so it would be unfair to just hands down say, well, it's your problem. If you, you know, if you're not doing yoga, you don't have time for it. There's something wrong with you and your priorities. I always would get a little frustrated with that response because it doesn't take into consideration that there are gradations of availability in time and space for the focus on yoga. And to be so absorbed in yoga or the practice of yoga, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a long slow process sometimes to shift our priorities. And so I think it's also important to acknowledge that in, in sacred scriptures, for example, like the Bhagavad Gita, there are instructions given to people depending on where they're at. Oh, you only have this much time or space available, or you only have this much motivation, actual motivation inside of you right now. Here's what you can do. Here's sort of the topmost ideal of practice. And then if you can't do this, try this out. If you can't do that, try this out. If we didn't adjust our, um, our approach, we'll set ourselves up for failure. In other words, you know, it's like saying, well, I, you know, I need to lose 50 pounds. Okay. Well, you know, I'm going to change my whole lifestyle overnight, you know, and it's like, well, for a lot of people that'll, that will invite failure. So just like we have to wean off from things that aren't so healthy for us, sometimes in changing our priorities, we have to, um, you know, wean off from the things that aren't as great, slowly shifting our priorities. It's kind of like if you add something healthy little by little, it'll gradually start to, in the garden of your life, it'll, you know, that what you're planting will start to, to take over and naturally the healthy stuff will start to, um, outweigh the unhealthy stuff or the better priorities will start to establish themselves harmoniously with all of your other duties. So in the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describes to Arjuna a series of like, um, like the gradations of commitment that you can find for yoga, if depending in so he kind of lists like, here's the top most thing that you can do, which I highly recommend, If you can't do that, do this, If you can't do that, do this. So that's what we're going to read right now. Remember that, like, I think the bottom line is like God gets it. the The universe uh, that we live in is a very complicated place, and um, there's all the time in the world. There is no rush to get to heaven. 
There's no rush to enlightenment. Um, in fact, uh, far from it, there's infinite amounts of patience, mercy, forgiveness. Um, and so that, that's why we also need a variety of different advices for different people at different stages in their lives or different stages of mo motivation that they may have to do yoga. Okay, so here we go. Arjuna inquired, this is chapter 12 from the Gita, which is considered to be more perfect, those who are properly engaged in your devotional service or those who worship the impersonal Brahman, the unmanifested? The blessed Lord said, he whose mind is fixed on my personal form, always engaging and worshiping me with great and transcendental faith is considered to me to be most perfect. So he, first of all, in case that doesn't make sense, so there's different kinds of yogis and different kinds of yogic um, uh, meditation. And first of all, he's talking about those that focus on the unmanifest. So those that focus on this idea of God as something that has no form, the sort of formless idea of God. He starts off by saying it's, it's better to focus on um, the per my personal form. But those who fully worship the unmanifested, that which lies beyond the perception of the senses, the all-pervading, inconceivable, fixed and immovable, the impersonal conception of the absolute truth by controlling the various senses and being equally disposed to everyone, such persons engaged in the welfare of all at, le at last achieve me. So he says, but even if you know people who worship that um, formless, the, my, my formless um, unmanifest uh, form, which is kind of a, sounds like a paradox. Uh, if, if they're worshiping me in that form and also doing good for others, they'll, they'll, they'll get there. So he, in this chapter, it's all about all the different ways that people can get to God. For those whose minds are attached to the unmanifested impersonal feature of the Supreme advancement is very troublesome to make progress in that discipline is always difficult for those who are embodied. So he's saying, look, if you're embodied to worship and focus on the unmanifest, the, um, the formless aspect of God is really difficult because you're embodied. You're a being, not an, not an unmanifest. He says, for one who worships me, giving up all his, his activities unto me and being devoted to me without deviation, engaged in devotional service and always meditating upon me, who is fixed upon me, has fixed his mind upon me, O son of Pritha, for him... I am the swift deliverer from the ocean of birth and death. So here Krishna is saying, on the other hand, it's very quick. If from your heart, from your personal heart, you connect to me in my personal beingness, also living in your heart um, with your, you know, kind of unwavering un devotion and meditation upon me, develop a relation, a personal relationship with me in the heart. It's very quick very, very fast process. Just fix your mind upon me, the supreme personality of Godhead, and engage all your intelligence in me. Thus, you will live in me always without a doubt. So here he's talking about an embodied way of living in the world with divine intelligence. And when we commune with God personally through divine intelligence and live our lives trying to, to access God's guidance, that personal form of God, that kind of moving meditation through life, he says, that's the top. That's, that's, the, that's the goal. My, my dear Arjuna, a winner of wealth, if you cannot fix your mind upon me without deviation, then follow the regulated principles of bhakti yoga. In this way, you will develop a desire to attain me. 
So bhakti means devotional practices. And um, every translation will go at this chapter slightly differently. But the idea here is, again, that he starts off naming the top form of yoga that he recommends, which is, um, you know, just be completely absorbed in me, live your life with uh, love and, and communion with me as a, as a daily way of being in the world and as a daily way of meditation. Then he says, if you can't do that, then you know, follow re regulated forms or rules for sadhana, for practice that teachers pass down. Um, because most people can't just spontaneously connect with God. They need to build up a discipline because the mind is always going off into all sorts of states of um, uh, isolation and separation from its source. If you cannot practice the regulations of bhakti yoga, so like rules of practice, then just try to work for me because by working for me, you will come to the perfect stage. So work, the word work here is the word for karma, which means action. So if you can't practice yoga, if you can't follow the rules, the regulated practices that yogis suggest and that I've given to yogis and disciplic successions, you know, then just do actions for me. Actions for me would be, you know, things that you can do that you hope will please God. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you make offerings for God, if you try to do good for others, because you hope it, that it will please your divine source, you know, that you, you're trying to do something that you feel essentially makes God's heart happy. And I was like, okay, just do that. Just work for me. Just do things for me. If, however, you're unable to work in this consciousness, then try to act giving up the results of your work and try to be self-situated. So the next piece of advice is if you can't do that, then try to just give up attachment to the outcomes of the things that you do. Try to give up attachment to the results of your actions and be happy and feel, try to feel more complete within yourself because that's where God is, right? So that's, a, that's another sort of step down that he gives. If you cannot take this practice, then engage yourself in the cultivation of knowledge. So if you can't do that, then try to understand something philosophically about the truth. Try to read things about the truth. Try to listen to talks about the truth. Try to even li like listening to this talk. For some people, that's it. For some people, it's Bhakti Wednesday, or it's a YouTube channel they like, or it's a podcast, and it just steeps their mind in divine knowledge. Just get some knowledge about spiritual stuff. Better than knowledge, however, is meditation and better than meditation. Meditation would be just learning to control the mind in this case, not, not uh, meditation on God that we we're talking about earlier, but better than knowledge, better than just uh, obtaining lots of knowledge about divine things um, philosophically uh, is meditation. Okay. So meditation here would be like learning to focus and control the mind. Um, then he says, meditation is Better than meditation is renunciation of the fruits of action, for by such renunciation, one can attain peace of mind. So then again, he says, but even better than meditation is giving up attachment to the results of the things that you do. That'll give you peace of mind. So he's giving different gradations of how to do yoga. If you can't do this, do this. 
one who is not envious, but who is a kind friend to all living beings, who does not think of himself as a proprietor, who is free from the false ego and equal in both happiness and distress, who is always satisfied and engaged in devotional service with determination, and whose mind and intelligence are in agreement with me. He is very dear to me. So here he's just saying, he's also describing the kinds of character traits that will gradually bring you to divine union. Um, don't think that you own things. Be kind to everyone. Be free from the traps of your false ego. Try to be equal when things are up and when things are down. Um, try to be satisfied within and try to be engaged in, um, in, in loving God and thinking about God and being connected to God, however you can, however you can. And if you do this, then, you know, gradually your mind and your intelligence come to be in agreement with my own. Your intelligence becomes divine intelligence and a relationship with God starts to blossom. He for whom no one is put into difficulty and who is not disturbed by anxiety, who is steady in happiness and distress is very dear to me. In other words, don't put others into difficulty and um, that you don't get pushed around too easily by desires and fears. And that you're again steady in up times and down times, you're that it just do work on those things and you'll come close to me. A devotee who is not dependent on the ordinary course of activities, who is pure, expert, without cares, free from pains, and who does not strive for some result is very dear to me. One who neither grasps pleasure or grief, who neither laments nor desires, and who renounces both auspicious and inauspicious things is very dear to me. Renounce doesn't mean hates. Renounce means just doesn't get too attached to both the really good stuff and the really bad stuff. One is equal to friends and enemies, who is equipoised in honor and dishonor, heat and cold, happiness and distress, fame and infamy, who's always free from contamination, silent and satisfied with anything, who doesn't care for residence, who is fixed in not for any residence, who is fixed in knowledge and engaged in devotional service, is very dear to me. Again, he says, if you look, if you want to get close to me, just you know, don't get don't get overly, um, you know, be someone who is the same, whether you're speaking with a friend or an enemy, be someone who's equipoised in honor and dishonor, heat and cold, happiness and distress, fame and infamy. Um, he's giving the character traits that you can try to cultivate. He who follows this imperishable path of devotional service, who completely engages himself with faith, making me the supreme goal is very, very dear to me. So there it is. Krishna lays it out for us. We've got options and we have basic character traits that we can aim for aside from whether we have time to dedicate lots of our energy to reading scriptures or chanting or learning mantras, or a lot of people are going to feel somewhat alienated by the Indian cultural trappings of bhakti. That's fine. You have options. Uh, some people are going to feel like, I just, I'm not sure how to do this. I don't, it's just me. I don't have like anyone else doing it with me. That's fine. You have options. People are going to feel like, well, I, I only have 10 minutes a day and, you know, to you know, do my mantra meditation or whatever. I only have a little bit of time and all I can do is listen to a podcast about spiritual things. That's fine. You have options. The main thing is that it's every day, that every day we do something, that every day we remember even a few of these instructions and think, this is what I need to do to keep opening and awakening that relationship with the divine that lives in my heart. As we do so, Krishna says throughout the Gita, numerous places, as you do any of these things consistently, I will start taking care of the rest. So that's a great promise that we have as well. Anyway, I thought you guys would find this interesting. Great question about what if I don't have time for yoga? 
and uh, hopefully some interesting responses to um, get the wheels turning in terms of what you what you can do. Reprioritize and know you have options. All right, that's what I've got today. If you guys have any questions about Bhakti Yoga, feel free to email me, info at nightlightastrology.com. Put Bhakti Q&A in the subject line. Until next time, Hare Krishna.